On the show today, Rich and I have a debate about which side dish is best for your Thanksgiving table, why Thanksgiving football is great even if you're not a fan of the teams, and the proper way to make damn good coffee. I'm your host, Brad Jackson, and you're listening to the November 17th, 2021 edition of Coffee and Koshan. So, Rich, it is uh, Thanksgiving here. We've come up upon that time. Uh, My favorite holiday, because let's be honest, it's a holiday about food. And you literally just get together with your family and eat. And it's okay that you pass out on the couch afterwards, because that's part of the holiday. I just always find that very fun. Um, So that brings up the question, what is the best Thanksgiving side dish? Because there are plenty of options. You've got mashed potatoes. You've got the whole stuffing versus dressing debate. Uh, you could go Brussels sprouts. You could go green beans. Uh, there are sweet potatoes. And that, I mean, there's just this smorgasbord of opportunities here for side dishes. Uh, let's start, let's start off with this. When you guys sit down at your Thanksgiving table, other than the bird, which is on the table, what else is everybody picking from? So it, it depends on who we're eating with. Uh, when it's uh, with my wife's family, uh, they are big fans of oyster dressing, which oh I, yeah, yeah. So we do the oyster dressing. There's twice baked potatoes, which the kids love that uh, their grandma makes for them. Uh, and then there's usually my grandmother's dressing recipe, uh, regardless of which venue uh, or who we're dining with. Uh, and we are dressing people. Uh, at and we'll first. get to that in a minute, the whole dressing versus stuffing thing. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and then cranberry sauce of some kind. Uh, being the South, there's uh, occasionally some pickles or deviled eggs or things like that. So it, it's it's all about the spread. It's it's a uh, about consuming more rather than less. <laughs> <laughs> God bless America. <laughs> OK, so let's start off with perhaps the most ubiquitous of side dishes that everyone's going to have on their table, and that's mashed potatoes, uh, or, or let's say potatoes of some sort. Um, we like to do in our family what we call Thanksgiving mashed potatoes, which are reserved for Thanksgiving, uh, thus the name. Um, and they are full of good stuff, meaning fats. We've got butter, uh, sour cream, cream cheese, um, some cream um, salt and pepper. These are like all the building blocks of perfect potatoes. Um, when you think of mashed potatoes, Rich, what are mashed potatoes to you? Is this a dish that, that you guys have had, uh, growing up? Is this a dish that, that is a singular, uh, special occasion dish or is it something you guys have all throughout the year? So growing up, mashed potatoes were not featured on our Thanksgiving table. And I suspect it's because we ate potatoes so much the rest of the year. I mean, there were times when, you know, we would just have French fries for dinner or whatever. Uh, And so they didn't have that special thing, but I love mashed potatoes. I'm thinking about making your recipe for mashed potatoes, even though we're going to have the twice baked just because they (laughs) look so delicious and decadent. And it, it's mashed potato loaded mashed potatoes like that have 
somewhat of a nostalgic factor for me because when I waited tables at a Ruth's Chris in Nashville, Tennessee years ago, we didn't get a lot of food. And at the end of the night, one of the things we could have was mashed potatoes. And so I would always get those loaded up like a baked potato. So there you go. There you go. So that was a, you know, I have many uh, memories of nourishing myself on a, a big bowl of mashed potatoes. That's got to be a bit cruel almost if you are a waiter at Ruth's Chris and you don't get to enjoy all the wonderful food that everyone else is eating because those smells and those sights and, and, and the mouthwateringness of a Ruth's Chris steakhouse, that's got to be a little bit brutal. <laughs> oh, it, it was terrible. You know, you're just always hoping for someone <laughs> would like somehow send back an untouched medium rare steak that you could, <laughs> you could nosh on. So, yeah. So I, uh, this was, it's an interesting thing to me because potatoes, to your point, are very much a part of Thanksgiving for a lot of people. But like I said, for whatever reason, they were just not a staple at our house. Okay, so um, one of the things you mentioned uh, when you were talking about your table um, that perked my uh, ears here, piqued my interest here, the um, uh, uh, the deviled eggs. Tell me about that. That sounds interesting. I love deviled eggs. So my mom makes great deviled eggs and they're just a traditional deviled egg, mustard, mayonnaise, paprika, uh, a little bit of relish, but they're just, it's one of those things. There's a joke going around. It's, you know, would you like to eat a dozen eggs? Well, no, of course not. It's like, well, what if I cook them, scoop the yolk out, mixed it with some other ingredients and put them back in the eggs? It's like, oh, well then definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so my mom uh, loves deviled eggs, <clears throat> excuse me. And so she would always have those. And then also the the tiny pickles and things like that, the, the, the slightly elevated things that you wouldn't have at a normal table, even though eggs and pickles are not a, a delicacy for the most part. But it's just the time necessary to making those, uh, you know, making pickles at home, making those deviled eggs elevates them and takes them to another level. I think that's a good point. The, the th- one reason I love pickles um, of any variety uh, is that when you're having a rich meal like Thanksgiving tends to be, if you have something acidic like that that can cut through that richness and sort of wake up your palate a, a little bit, that's a nice touch on the plate um, when you're dealing with so many wonderful rich foods. Yes, I totally agree. And it is all about lots of rich foods. Uh, there's a dish I discovered a couple of years ago, the, uh, uh, not the mashed potato, but a sweet potato, a praline sweet potato casserole, or you could use yams that comes out of New Orleans. And it's just it, it's basically dessert on your plate. You're, you're going to go ahead and have dessert along with the rest of the food as you prepare for the actual dessert that comes after the meal. Okay, so let's talk about sweet potatoes. I'm glad you brought that up because this dish that you have, uh, which we looked at briefly before we started recording, is amazing. I mean, this this just sounds like an incredible little casserole here from heaven. Um, but sweet potatoes are an interesting dish because it's something that a lot of people have, but a lot of people do them differently. Um, you may just have a situation where you roast the potatoes, you uh, mash them up with some butter in a casserole dish. Maybe you top them with um, marshmallows and, you know, like torch the marshmallows kind of uh, s'more style uh, on top. 
Um, my mom does uh, does sweet potatoes differently, and I have not actually been able to, to replicate it myself, where she just roasts them long enough where they caramelize, and then they get all that sweetness without doing much to them. And then she just mashes them up with some butter and... They're amazing, and and I haven't been able to replicate that yet. I'm still I'm still working on that. But uh, it's interesting. This casserole you have, this sweet potato pr- uh, praline casserole, uh, is very much a New Orleans dish. New Orleans is one of my favorite food cities on the face of the earth. Um, if I lived in New Orleans, I would weigh five thousand pounds and look like Jabba the Hutt. But this this dish is an amazing way to sort of uh, take sweet potatoes to their ultimate end and, and take it to beyond the next level. Talk about that for a minute, because I really like this idea as a way to make sweet potatoes almost like a star on the table. So I was never a sweet potato fan growing up. Uh, and we normally, we did the traditional, as you mentioned, the the sweet potato casserole topped with marshmallows. And is I'm mainly a marshmallow on s'mores and that's about it type of guy. So the, it just didn't appeal to me. But later in life, as we started getting more carb conscious as a society and, oh, well, the sweet potato is slightly better. So I started getting into sweet potatoes and we were going into one holiday and it was just I just started Googling, which is, you know, the magic of the Internet. We can hate on the Internet, but, you know, you can find recipes out there. And I I found this and it was a little daunting for me because I had to go buy a candy thermometer. And precision is not my strong suit. I'm more of a throw stuff together type of cook. Uh, I can occasionally bake, but I have to be very methodical, you know, go directly in order on the list. There's no skipping around the recipes. So this was daunting, but... You know, I got my 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 topping to the softball stage and I cooked the potatoes and burned my fingers a little bit handling them and get it in. And it's just like you said, it's just the, it becomes the star on the plate where people are like, I want more of those sweet potatoes. Well, and it's amazing because um, it it and, and you said it's it's not as simple a dish because you do have to involve a candy thermometer and candy thermometers can be scary. Um, uh because it's it's not the usual way you would do sweet potatoes and and obviously they're they're something that is made for more as you noted precision cooking but it's kind of cool to take sweet potatoes and and do something really awesome with them and this is a dish that that really does that right i mean what what when you plop this down on the table what do people do they're just amazed because it's it's i mean the topping on it is basically just literally the candy that you would get but it's cooked on top of sweet potatoes. <laughs> That's and, <so> cool. <laughs> and for me, I, I'm uh, I am not the father from a Christmas story. I'm not a big turkey fan. So for me, Thanksgiving is really all about decadence with everything that's around the turkey on the plate. You know, that second meal of the day might just be side dishes with no bird whatsoever. Yeah, and we are going to do probably an entire show come Thanksgiving on just the Christmas story because that is the the ultimate of Christmas movies. But um, I, I do like myself turkey. Generally, though, I like my turkey the next day in a kick-ass turkey sandwich. So, um, but that's, uh, that, that's another show. Um, uh, let's talk about one more thing. And uh, that is an ongoing debate that has been ongoing since the dawn of Thanksgiving stuffing versus dressing. And a lot of this has to do necessarily with where you live. So if you're listening to us and you live in the Northeast, you're in 
Maine, you're in Massachusetts, you're in New Hampshire, you may think, well, gosh, it's it's stuffing or nothing. Like, why are we, why are we having this debate? But if you live in uh, Arkansas, you live in uh, Georgia, you live in Florida, you're saying, well, it's it's dressing. Why are we having this debate? But that that's that's the glory of this country. In in different regions, we've taken Thanksgiving and we've said, well, we're going to put our dressing that usually goes on the side of the bird. We're going to stuff it in the damn bird, and then we're going to get all the bird juices on it, and it's going to cook, and then we're going to take it out. But there was a movement uh, not long ago, in the starting really in I think the nineties and two thousand early two thousands, where people were like, whoa, 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 why are we putting this stuff in the bird? There can be some cross contamination. It might not might not be good for you if you don't cook it long enough, and you might get sick. and And this should always be dressing on your table. Rich, are you guys stuffing people or dressing people? So we are dressing people, but I have done both. Uh, I went through a brief phase where I uh, tried the turduckens back when that oh. was. Uh, <laughs> and the turducken has the layers of stuffing between the various birds. With the cross-contamination issue, cook your food enough. I, I, you know, just make sure you cook it enough. But I like dressing because I like the texture that it gets when it's cooked separately instead of being cooked in the bird. And I also, uh, when you talk about the regional differences, you know, the Pacific Northwest might use sourdough breadcrumbs or just regular breadcrumbs in the Northeast. But down here, it's cornbread. And that's what I want is the cornbread with the stock and all the flavor and seasonings and cooked in its own casserole dish on the side. And I think that's interesting. We we are uh, generally stuffing people. Um, we do occasionally make an oyster dressing, particularly if my mom's uh, mother is with us, because uh, that is what she grew up with. And um, that is oh God, so good. <laughs> um, I don't think we're doing that this year, but um, we generally do. We generally stuff the bird. Um, now, I have had uh, um, what you're talking about, this this cornbread, uh, cornbread dressing um, as well in the past. And, and that is, that is absolutely fantastic. And that's a wonderful thing to have on your, uh, on your table for sure. Um, but it, it is interesting to me because what is so great about this holiday is that there is so much you can do with stuffing or dressing. Like you mentioned that a lot of this depends on what you put in that stuffing or dressing. Do you have sausage in it or some other meat? Uh, do you use sourdough? Do you use uh, French breadcrumbs? Do you use just white bread? Do you use cornbread? Um, and the great thing is like each of those have a little slightly different texture and the texture is again different whether you stuff it or you put it on the side. And you were mentioning that that's one of those things you enjoy about dressing is the texture it gets outside the bird. There are a lot of people who say, well, I like that sort of texture it gets when it soaks up all the juices in the bird. And and that's, that's something too. Um, are you someone who is open to adjusting your stuffing or dressing game? Or is it very much a, hey, this is what we've been doing. This is what we like. We're going to stick with that, you know, ride or die sort of situation. You know, I I am always open to experimentation. Uh, the one thing is we often just buy our bird from someone else. So that kind of limits our ability to cook inside of it since it's already cooked when we get it. And, but I am open to it. And like I said, I, I have had it 
and did enjoy it, but I like a little bit of the, I, I like the gravy. So I get the moisture debate, but I like to cook it, get a little bit of that texture and then add the moisture back after the fact. And also I like to, uh, have that texture in a sandwich. You mentioned your next day sandwich, which we won't get into, but I like to have those different, uh, again, textures going on with the the Thanksgiving meal. And so that's where a lot of it is soft, whether it's green bean casserole or the sweet potatoes or whatever, so, and even rolls. So I like to add a little bit of that, a little bit of the crispness from the, the cornbread dressing cooked on the side. And I've got a great recipe we'll be sharing after the show. Yeah, and that brings up a good point before we move on to the next topic here. Uh, because this is a show about Thanksgiving and and uh, we each cook these dishes, we are going to uh, share uh, some of these recipes in a post by Rich at The Federalist that you'll be able to uh, track down. And uh, that will allow you to sort of get, get a, a good idea of exactly how we do all these things that we're talking about. If you'd like to advertise on future episodes of Coffee and Koshan, please contact us at coffeeandkoshan at gmail.com. Rich, one of the great things about Thanksgiving is football, Thanksgiving football. And um, I think what's awesome about football on Thanksgiving is that there's some serious tradition to it. Um, I grew up uh, when I was a little kid. We lived in Detroit. And so I am a long-suffering Lions fan. And my Lions are sort of the feature team on Thanksgiving that doesn't always end up as a, as a good thing because we do tend to lose. But um, uh, we play every Thanksgiving, and it's a great part of that post-Thanksgiving meal. You get to sort of just sit, zone out on the TV, watch on the couch, watch some TV, uh, and get some good football. You're a big fan of this too, right? Yes, and I come from a different perspective than you because I am a Tennessee Titans fan. We lived in Tennessee at the time that the Titans moved and were and were expand, uh, growing with under the new name, and they're not a traditional Thanksgiving team. So for me, it's just about watching football rather than long suffering, as you say, or getting to cheer on a great game. And what's interesting when I was researching this, I remember watching tons of Thanksgiving football, but I don't remember these huge battles. But when I was going back, looking through the scores of all the games, it seems like uh, uh, the the food coma just got me and and I missed some very (laughs) exciting endings. But that's what it's really about is it's not as important as it would be on, you know, a game day Saturday when your team's playing or on a Sunday when your team's playing and you're really rooting and and getting pumped up because it's about winding down and and possibly falling asleep during the fourth quarter. And it's just a fantastic tradition. My mother-in-law has some really nice TV trays. And when we do it at her house, we have Thanksgiving at her house. We don't even sit at the table. We put the kids at the table and all the adults (laughs) sit in front of the TV that is the way to do it right there. So it's, I, I love this football, but so with the, uh, this tradition, you've probably had a different experience. I would imagine growing up a lions fan. And, and as you mentioned, they are the 
Thanksgiving team. I think they started playing on on uh, in 1934, and they've only missed a couple of years since then. Yeah, so, and and as I mentioned, I am a long suffering Lions fan because as a Lions fan, you just get used to losing. Um, <laughs> it's 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 just our nature. Um, but uh, it is wonderful to see my team every Thanksgiving, um, whoever they're playing, and uh, I I like that tradition. The other thing that I like about uh, football and Thanksgiving for me for a long time Thanksgiving football was Texas and Texas A&M and uh, when those teams split and A&M went to the SEC and Texas stayed in the Big 12 that game has gone away and what's amazing to me is that there are plenty of people who have grown up including kids that are in college now where that wasn't a game for them that that whole rivalry wasn't wasn't uh, doesn't really exist in their memory but I am glad that uh, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12, moving the SEC, so that we can bring back the Thanksgiving tradition of Texas and Texas A&M because that's a fantastic game. It's it's just a classic. Uh, there's so many great stories of that game coming down to a last-minute kick or a last-minute touchdown pass or um, uh, you know just the excitement of that game. And for me, that... That was the Thanksgiving game that that we watched all the time. Um, so I'm I'm glad that's coming back. Um, you're you're an you're an SEC fan too, right, Rich? You're you're an Arkansas fan. Yes, I'm an Arkansas fan. So I'm excited to, to have y'all in the SEC. Uh, you know, there was a joke that Arkansas left the Southwestern Conference to get away from Texas years ago, and now you're back. So <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> But I would, you know, and this is a whole other debate that we won't start today, but I, if I had to choose, if I had to choose, I would choose college football over the NFL. So I would love to see games like that on, on Thanksgiving day. Uh, for a long time, Arkansas would play LSU the day after, uh, this year we're playing Missouri the day after Thanksgiving, but there's still the day after Thanksgiving game. So, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's. It, it, to your point, it's just about people being together, enjoying the game, maybe not yelling at each other, maybe not getting too caught up in the uh, team rivalries, uh, as there are rivalries when you're whenever you're watching sports. You know, there's always that one member of the family who's like, well, you know, I'm from here, but I've picked this other team to to root for. So you put that aside, you eat a bunch of food and you zone out on the couch. But that's where you have. A tip for us because maybe you want to perk up a little bit make sure you've got enough energy to have another round of food and enjoy the evening game and so brad tell us about how to make the perfect cup of coffee to accomplish that okay so this show is called coffee and koshan uh, uh that is in in part because it is a uh, sort of spiritual successor to uh, coffee markets which i did with our friend ben dominich for a long time um, but it is also because if you're doing a show about food and drink, you cannot do that show without talking about coffee. Um, frankly, I owe my existence post 6 a.m. in the morning when the kids wake me up to coffee. Um, I would just not be a human being if not for coffee. And um, I take pride in making a good cup of coffee. Now, um, if, if you don't need a good cup of coffee, if you're okay with the, you know, office drip coffee uh, thing, then that's fine. But if you want a really good cup of coffee, I'm going to walk you through how you do that. And there are a few things you need. You need fresh ground beans. 
If you can do it yourself at home, that's even better. But if not, then make sure you get them at a, a good grocery store or a local coffee shop and have them ground and then use them within a few days after they grind them. Um, I tend to grind my own beans, um, but again, that's because I'm obsessive. Um, then you need to make sure that you get the proper temperature water for this. This isn't just, you know, pouring some hot water out of your spigot and and using that. You need to heat up this water. There, there are several ways you can do that. You can get yourself a uh, like a electric tea kettle thing, which is really nice because you can set it to a specific temperature, plug it in, and in like three to five minutes, you have that that uh, hot water. Um, that's how I like to do it. You can also uh, get a microwave safe vessel and uh, microwave that that water until you get to the proper temperature. But you want to get somewhere around two hundred degrees, somewhere in that range. Um, and then you want to take those fresh grounds, and I'm going to tell you that that although you can go drip route, you can go pour over, uh, the best coffee, honestly, comes from a French press. And the reason that is is because it preserves a lot of the oils you get in coffee that, that give it some of that flavor and, and uh, some of that extra oomph. And you can lose a lot of that if you put it through... A whole bunch of filters, but if you get that hot water, you get those fresh beans, you, you put those freshly ground beans in the bottom of the French press, pour that hot water in it, you have to let it sit, and, and this is the most nerve-wracking part because as someone who loves the smell of coffee, once those those beans begin to bloom and, and that, that aroma escapes and all of a sudden... It's 6.30 in the morning, but your your kitchen smells, it has like this awakening smell to it, and you just get injected with that uh, that caffeine via, you know, the air. Uh, it's hard not to just go ahead and drink that right away, but you've got to let it sit. At least four minutes, I like to let mine go about six to get a little extra oomph. Um, then uh, pour it in, a, in a, a good, real cup, whether that is a, uh, a, a ceramic cup. Uh, I like to have a tall uh, metal cup that I I uh, drink out of that my uh, kids were nice enough to get me, um, like a tumbler thing. And, uh, you know, don't don't ruin it with with too much extras. You don't you don't want you need to put chocolate sauce on it. It doesn't need pumpkin spices. It doesn't need whipped cream. A wonderful cup of coffee is fine by itself. If you want a little cream, that's OK. You're not getting anything out of two percent milk. So either do the cream or don't do the cream. Don't go two percent round, um, and uh, and our previous show was talking about alternate milks. You're clearly alternate milks in your coffee, people. Come on, come on. It's either black or it's with a little bit of cream, but you know, you don't need to put any almond milk in your coffee, okay? Like that's that's that's, that's not what we're here for. Um, but if you do that, you can make yourself a perfect cup of coffee. And Rich, I tell you what, there's nothing better in this world than a perfect cup of coffee, and especially. In a moment like that, uh, and, and you're exactly right, although I did defend alternative milks, when we're talking coffee, whole cream, whole just cream. heavy cream, Let's do it. don't mess around, uh, you know, don't need a lot of sugar, you definitely don't need all these sauces, if you want to add a little bit of richness, that's all you need to really enhance your cup, so thank you for educating us on the proper way to make the perfect cup it's it's important it's important because i honestly look like we're a a, a, a civilization here that that stretches our human limits right we're up early you got to get kids to school you got to get to work you, you're up late getting them to bed getting done all the crap you couldn't do when they're awake 
and and it, that means that when six o'clock rolls around in the morning, and you're you're you still got sleep in your eyes, and you know you're having, and the dogs freaking out, and you're like, ah, I gotta start another day. Well, the way to start that day is with a perfect cup of coffee. I mean, that's that's why Starbucks exists because people are like driving to work and they're like, oh, I didn't have my coffee. Well, okay, here here we go. You take a few minutes, make it at home, save yourself some money, and make the perfect cup of coffee instead of a Starbucks cup of coffee. And and frankly, there's nothing wrong if you're in an airport, you're in a hurry, and you need a cup of coffee. That's an okay route to go. I'm I'm not saying that that you should totally avoid it, but you want the perfect cup of coffee that coffee is made at home and that that's that's the way to really get your day started because frankly if you have a really good cup of coffee in the morning there's nothing you can't accomplish no and to those listening brad made a good point the tea kettle tea also needs to be brewed at different temperatures and for different times so it's an inexpensive thing to add to your kitchen that can really enhance your beverage game for when you are hosting yes and you don't need to go way out of the that's the thing like there are tea kettles that that cost you like a hundred bucks you don't need to go that route A, a quick electric tea kettle uh for 25 bucks at target in in that you know in the giant section of aisles that are all the the kitchen stuff just get the 25 dollar tea kettle uh it heats it up heats up your water at varying degrees if you're making green tea or you're making uh white leaf tea which some people really like um that has to be at a different temperature than black tea or coffee as you mentioned and these tea kettles will do all that for you and really all you have to do is select like what are you brewing and it'll do all the work for you and and it takes like five minutes and you have the water at whatever exact temp you want it at. Um, and that's how you get really good coffee because it has to be, if you if it's at the right temperature, it allows all of those uh, flavors to bloom out of the freshly ground beans and really give you the whole experience because it's, this. for instance, this is the same reason I like to drink beer out of a glass and not out of a can or a bottle because when you drink something, whether it's beer or it's coffee, you're doing it not just with your taste buds. You're also doing it with your nose. And if you drink it out of a cup, whether that's beer or coffee, you're allowing yourself to get the flavor on your tongue, but also all that aroma into your nose. And frankly, as a, as a coffee addict, I'll be honest, as a coffee addict, half of the experience for me is just that aroma. It's the aroma when you start making it. It's the aroma when you start drinking it, that first taste. You know, it's like you, you get that smell. You get that taste in, on your tongue as, as it crosses your lips. And it's like, oh, God, I can finally tackle my day. Like, that's, that's what you need. And that only comes from a perfect cup of coffee. And you can really only make a perfect cup of coffee yourself. Agreed. It's... It's great that restaurants and coffee shops and other places exist, but just like you don't want to end up at uh, the Chinese restaurant on a holiday, uh, <laughs> you want to make it yourself, you know, you're going to make better, better beverages, better cocktails, better coffee, whatever, if you learn the art of making your, them yourself in your own home. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Coffee and Co. Sean, that's been Rich. I am Brad. You can find us on iTunes. We are also on Spotify now. So if you are a Spotify listener like my brother is, um, you can find our show. Just search Coffee and Co. Sean on Spotify. Uh, We are there. We are also on The Federalist every week. 
Um, and this week, be sure to track down Rich's piece that has all the information on the recipes from this show. Rich, thanks so much for doing it today. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me, Brad. Thank you.